0: Hello, swimmers, and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week I chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. Today's guest is Avery Adams, an experienced swim coach, swimmer, and strength and conditioning coach who works with swimmers of all ages. Avery has some really interesting things to share about strength and conditioning for masters athletes. And I'm sure that you are going to enjoy hearing from him as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Let's hear from Avery now.
1: There you go, Bob.
0: Hi, Avery. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're really welcome. Where are you joining us from today?
1: I am joining you from Charleston, South Carolina. What's it been like there today, weather-wise? Incredibly humid, hot, rainy. Yeah, it's kind of the muggy time of the season. It's very buggy outside. We live near the beach, um, but we're kind of in the low country, so a lot of swamps, a lot of that kind of thing, but uh, it's just part of life, right? Part of the summer.
0: Yeah. Is that sort of near the Outer Banks? Is that that area?
1: Yeah, you're close. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're probably like seven hours south, roughly. You just kind of keep coming down the East Coast and you'll run into me where I'm on the coast.
0: Right. Looks like a very nice area to be.
1: It is, absolutely. There's a lot of history and like I said, a lot of beaches, um, a lot of neat restaurants. There's a great food scene and coffee. So um, it's a pretty cool vibe for sure.
0: And I know you spend a lot of time coaching on pool deck and uh, working in the gym with athletes, but do you get a chance to do much swimming yourself these
1: days? Um, It's been a little bit since I've been in the pool, to be honest. Um, But I found as time went on throughout my near 20-year coaching career, it was really nice to have something else. So um, I competed in triathlon for about a decade. Um, I've done Ironmans. I've done, you know, marathons, half marathons, a lot of that kind of thing. While my passion is absolutely the water, it's been really nice to, um, to dive into other things. I'm a big cycling fan. So it's still all athletic, obviously. But, um, yeah, I, I don't swim as much.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So give us a bit of an insight into your own background in swimming. Take us back to how you
1: first got introduced to it. So my upbringing and history is probably a little bit different than most. Um, So like a kid, I I played all sports. Um, And really, I started riding my bike up to a summer pool right next to my elementary school, right around like the age of nine. And my neighborhood was very unique in that it was pretty enclosed. You could ride your bike wherever you wanted. It was very safe. And so, you know, in the 90s growing up, it was here's five or six dollars from mom and dad, and you just rode your bike to the pool. And you hung out and you made friends with the lifeguards or whatever, the kids around you. And then, you know, I played soccer, basketball. Um, I was not a very big kid, so football was not in my repertoire, but um, grew up a multi-sport athlete. And then the summer league system, the high school swimming. Um, but I grew up in a really small town, so the the club swimming... That's way more prevalent these days in the States and really around the globe. It just wasn't an opportunity for me. But, you know, with that being said, like at home, uh, sorry, high school swimming, summer league, and then playing high school basketball in opposite season and soccer. So um, a little bit different there, but I always loved it. And, you know, looking back I've always been around the water my entire life. And so once I went beyond high school, I had some opportunity to swim in college, but ended up moving out to California instead with some friends. So I had some, you know, unique life experiences for a couple of years. And then really, I came back at, uh, I guess, 19 and got into coaching almost right away. So in one way or another, I've uh, been around the pool since a very, very young age. Well,
0: what drew, what drew you to coaching?
1: I think it was just the love for the water. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, I think I feel very uh, blessed in the sense that it's been a calling. um, And, you know, whatever you believe in terms of the universe providing for you or these opportunities that kind of come up organically along the way in our lives. You meet the right person at the right time or you just stumble into a job at the right time. Um, I was asked to be. Uh, an assistant coach of a very small team I think we had 20 kids at a pool I was lifeguarding at Um, and that's just what started it and I was very into um, obviously working out and being athletic and I was like you know what this sounds like a really cool thing and I loved being a lifeguard i had really planned on kind of staying in that field to begin with um, trying to get into like management you know what I mean just I was always enthralled with the pool and that's really what sparked it was that that little 20 person swim team um, and really that same year, I actually started a master swim team also, and it was named the Merciless Tuna. We had an amazing <laughs> logo. I wish <laughs> I wish we still had our swim caps, but it was just a tuna flexing and so I mean, We were, my buddy and I started the team, but it was really fun. So that's kind of what started everything.
0: What do you find the difference between um, age group coaching, age group swimmers and master swimmers? What's, what's the differences that you see?
1: Um, so outside of what we would kind of be the first, the first thing we think about is typically like age, right? But I'm actually going to come at this question from a different angle. I feel like the major differences are generational programming. And so I find that, uh, swimmers that have been in the sports that, you know, whatever the age is, but someone that's been in the sport for a long time has these preconceived notions of proper ways to train. Now, each generation absolutely has things that we should grab from it, but if you've got a you know a fifty year old master swimmer who's only done it one way, a lot of times it's that programming that's really difficult to crack through. And so, when I get to that point or that uh, person that I'm working with, I come at that from an angle of patience and being willing to teach. So we have a lot of conversations, but. By and large, it's the programming. And I I don't use it in a negative light. It just kind of is what it is. We absorb these things and our experiences are what make us who we are. Um, You know, on the age group side of things, they're very pliable in terms of learning. Um, They're open to feedback. They want to hear from the coach. Not that master swimmers don't, but you know what I mean. They're just in two very distinct places. And so each side of things requires a different approach, uh, requires a different version of myself. Um, which as a coach, it's really important to have these different levels and these different capacities for every person that we're talking to. So, um, again, I don't look at it as just like an age barrier. I look at it as we're dealing with two very different evolved beings.
0: I sort of, I hear what you're saying. I know as a swimmer, an age group swimmer myself, went back in, you know, sort of in the 80s, we all did 12 sessions a week and we all right. smashed out the kilometres, you know, right. a lot of kilometres. And I was yeah. 100, 100, maybe 200 swimmer at the time. But it's, you know, to get that thinking out of my head now as a master swimmer swimming four sessions a week is really, really hard to fight against it when you, you know, the new way of training for those kind of things is is doing more quality. Whereas back in the day right. we did quantity. And I still, even though I know that's the right thing for me now, and I can't possibly do what I used to do, I struggle <laughs> right. with that in my mind. And I, I hear exactly what you're saying. It's probably something yeah. you come across with a lot of other master swimmers.
1: Very, very frequently. And that's typically the first thing that happens. And, you know, it's, um, I'm very thankful to have had the experience I've had to get me to this point where I've started Elevate. Um, because you know, the coach who I used to be 10 years ago would take that as like a, a hit to my ego, right? If, it, if someone's like, you know, I used to do it this way and I'm like, well, I'm telling you the right way to do it. But in all actuality, it's more about teaching that person. So I, I take on a lot of difficult people that other coaches or clients have, or I'm sorry, other coaches have had a hard time with at any age. And just through patience and caring about the person, whatever age they're at and whatever level of uh, movement proficiency or ability that they're at and just being patient, it goes a long way. And you typically find that uh, people are more open to those learning new things when they know the person that they're working with is also willing to have those types of conversations. So when you come at it from a level of empathy and understanding, it makes it a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I feel like this is the way forward. A, a lot of what you're talking about is a program that fits others, but then to make it individualized towards different swimmers.
1: Correct. Yeah. And I mean, even in the club setting, I mean, it's it's very common. Um, you know, my national group before I left the pool deck full time, uh, I think we had it right around 20, 25 ish. And then if my second group was combined, we might have 40, 50 kids in the pool. And I was very comfortable in that capacity of like having that many kids. But what I try to tell families and individual athletes is, yes, we are absolutely a team sport, but it's also very possible to coach the individual in a team setting. So you might have to break it up into sprint mid-day or distance. Or you might have to have your sprinters put on fins that day or a new kid in the group might go half the distance. Whatever it is, when you talk to that individual and say, hey, this is what you need to do on this day and give them more wiggle room then you can build those relationships also. And that's at any age, like whether I'm coaching masters or whether I'm coaching a 10 year old.
0: Yeah. And in your experience working with master swimmers, what what's sort of the the parts of that that make a successful master swimmer? Like what, what, what do you see as working for them?
1: I find that most master swimmers genuinely want to get better, right? So you've got this dichotomy of they're in the water because they love the sport no one's forcing a master swimmer into the pool. They're waking up at 5 a.m., diving in the pool at 5.30, sometimes earlier by their choice. So it makes it a little bit easier and they want to be there, like I said. So um, a successful master swimmer really is really good at juggling life, work and the sport, um, being willing to, you know, take care of their nutrition, um, enjoy life all at the same time. So really it's all about balance. I think at At any level of master swimming. Um, But those who are hungry to continue to learn can still make huge progress. Um, You know, we'll talk about one of my uh, swimmers that I have now who um, had a very severe stroke at 21 and kind of has had to battle through that and where she is now in her 50s. So it's a really kind of unique story. But um, I think if, like I said, if if people are willing to learn and they're hungry and they enjoy the sport, everybody can still make progress for a very, very long time.
0: Do you think that at at the age of 50, you just mentioned that lady, is that there's a possibility to get back to close to the times that she had in her early 20s, late teens?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it is because the training styles have shifted. So if we were chasing sheer aerobic volume, there's no way we can get back to that. But if I look at her schedule, you know, said we got seven days in the week. And I can say, OK, we need threshold on this day, quality on this day, recovery day here. And then I'm blending the gym sessions in. Absolutely. And we've been going best times for the last several months. Um, and so, again, it goes, it just gets back to the quality. It gets back to very focused sessions and then addressing her individual needs. And so she'll do her master's workout. And then if right now we're trying to get better at other strokes. So I'm like, hey, here's your fly set. She'll add that on or I'll say, hey, make sure you take a day off here, whatever it is, um, we can absolutely get back. And I think primarily because the education level has increased so much on physiology, on recovery, on nutrition, on just program design and all these variables can really still allow for some amazing success.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't believe how much more we know these days from when I was swimming as an age grouper. We didn't even have a water bottle at the side of the pool back in those days. (laughs) It was frowned frowned upon to even get out of the water and go and get a drink of water. Yeah. So it's just in those type of ways, it blows my mind how far we've come and I wish I was an age grouper right now. I think it would be awesome to be involved in it.
1: I know. I think sometimes, um, you know, the new norm, people don't realise how good things are and so yeah totally they're just like oh this is normal whereas we're looking back on our lives like man i really wish i had that so i totally understand
0: yeah i just i get so inspired by the like the recent world champs that were on you know you're seeing all those swimmers up there and supporting them all i love all of their fantastic sort of um races that they did what was your favorite race of the world champs did you have one
1: i mean ledecky is looking pretty good but i'm really enjoying the sprinting side of things um I feel like outside of the US, and this is not a a knock on any uh, any swimming anywhere, you know what I mean? But um, they've welcomed sprinters with open arms, so you've got all events. Whereas here, I feel like the selection process is much different, and we're kind of losing out on potential great sprinters. Now, I love coaching all events, but I, I think it's just neat to see this evolution of the sport. As a fan of the sport, I like seeing those things um to where we're not putting up walls based on events we're allowing these individuals that might have been pushed out five years ago 10 years ago and now they're in they're in a limelight and then they're they're getting world records they're getting medals so i i think it's just neat to see the sport evolve and to open our minds up to possibilities and giving more people a chance to be successful but yeah there was a lot of great swims but you know That was probably my favourite part It's just a fan of the sport itself.
0: I would love to see 50 form strokes added to the Olympic schedule. I think it would be great for the
1: sport. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think it would keep a lot of those older athletes like the Sarah Strohstroms and Cam McAvoy and lots of those guys that are in their early 30s or about to hit 30 that are in those 50-metre races. And it's a lot easier for them to fit that into their work schedule.
1: Yeah, it adapts to the life life well, I mean, and we know now from like a, a maturation standpoint that people can be very successful in their 30s, late 30s. I mean, there's several pro cyclists in their 40s on that were just in the tour winning stages. So like you said, I think it provides these unique opportunities around the globe for all federations. To, to go in and be successful.
0: And you not only coach on pool deck, you coach in the gym as well as a strength and conditioning coach. What sort of led you down that path to add that to
1: your... Repertoire, if you <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Repertoire, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about when I, I felt this calling towards the sport. And I've, I've always been one, and I probably get this from my dad, anything that we get excited about, we go all in so i was never one to just take things at face value it was i would ask more questions i needed to know more and then it got to you know me finding the right mentor at the right time i mean as a 20 year old i was working with a coach that had already been to the olympics um, and had those experiences and worked with very well-known coaches here in the us coaches like don gambrel out of alabama um, and other Olympic sprinters and of all distances too, not just sprinters. But, um, you know, being young, I probably didn't absorb it as much as I should have looking back, but, um, I know I gained, probably had more questions than answers at that point too. Like I was just like blown away behind the set design, the season planning. Um, and just coming from the athletic background, I enjoyed working out. So it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, you know, dry land is a piece of this. And I just went all in on that too. So um, it's just been a passion of mine in all all capacities as a coach, whether it's nutrition, recovery, uh, the weight room or athletic development and the pool side of things, program design. I'm I'm a big nerd on all of it. (laughs) So, yeah. And what
0: kind of athletes do you work with in the strength and conditioning world?
1: So primarily swimmers, but I do um, or I have had some baseball players this year. You know, the thing about athletic development is, by and large, 99% of athletic development is going to be the same, especially your normal kind of general population, really even at the collegiate level. Like, there's not a huge difference from what the swimmers are doing um, and, like, let's say, like a baseball player. There might be sport-specific elements, but the chunk of work is still the exact same. So I look at it more as athletic development and a coach, a certain athletic development coach that just happens to be in the swim world Um, and just coaching of all ages. I mean, I have right now seven-year-olds all the way up to 66-year-olds at the moment. So I've got a pretty wide range. And um, being full-time swim coach within a USA program for, I guess, 16 years or so, that became part of my job as I came through the system, through my career. So every team I was at, I ended up riding the dry land for. Um, And my most recent position was uh, with a team called South Carolina Swim Club. Uh, We had four different sites. At one point, we came down to three, 400 swimmers, 350 swimmers, uh, 14 different training groups. And so my job was to blend all of it. So I'm starting at the top. I'm working back. That way it's a progressive program group to group, age to age, year to year. And then just continually moving that forward. Um, so like I said, you know, all these experiences have shaped who I am today. So now that I'm more, a little bit more in the individualized, uh, coaching world, I still have teams that I write dry land programs for right now. Um, I've done some team presentations. I've got some LSC or local swim committee presentations here soon. So I, I do a lot of different things. Um, I actually wrote a program for Elements Australia, the club team there. So one of the sites I did their dry land program for last year, um, and I do some season planning for a team in uh, Switzerland also. So I'm doing a lot of global yeah. stuff. Yeah,
0: fantastic. And you mentioned you've got a seven-year-old up to a 66-year-old. How what's what's the difference in their in their programs? How do you individualize it for that age span?
1: Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, at at the age group level and really at all levels, if we think about uh, athletic development as movement development, things get a little bit more easy to see. So a lot of times, like my 66 year old, uh, when he first came in, I taught him how to skip, how to jump, how to land, how to move laterally. So guess what? At that seven, eight year old level, it's the same because and even at the elite level, it's the same. I'm teaching multi plane movement and then picking the exercise based on their needs where they are at that given point in time so a lot of the core at the master's level is still the same i look at it as teaching movements Um, and i do know you know as we get older we kind of shy away from those foundational athletic elements like and some of it is uh you know like i said the generational programming but some of it becomes we're not we're scared, right? We're scared to do a box jump. I mean, I've had a lot of that and it's just through patience, we can get people through that. But you have to look at where that person is and then you have to have the perspective of that age range. So like, I know a 10 under needs to do these certain elements. And I know this because my experience has set me up to build this out. And then at the at the other levels, or sorry, master swimming, you just have to look and see what their life is like, whether they've had surgeries, whether they've had, whether they sit at a desk all day. Um, You know, I've got several doctors uh, or people that sit or stand, everybody's shoulders are like this. So now thoracic mobility comes into play um, and just getting scapulas back and down. So you've got these core tenets of athletic development that really don't shift, and then you've got your life and then you've got the age and then what their goals are that kind of tie into everything.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that you can individualize those types of, types of programs. I think it it works very well for <clears throat> the masters athlete. Sorry, <clears throat> it works really well for the masters athlete because, as you say, they've got work, they've got family commitments. They don't just have that same sort of set of a school um, a school age student who's going to school, being taken by their parents, and then coming to swim training. So it is a it is a very different world that you are working in for both of those different types of swimmers.
1: It is. Yeah. And then things like holidays come up, life comes up, stress comes up. So I think, um, you know, when people hire me, they, they first start talking about or they get worried if they need to take a day off or they get worried if they can't follow the program perfectly. And it's never about any one given session. Right. It's about the accumulation of those sessions. So if someone is incredibly consistent, then that's fine. If life happens, we can't we can't hide that fact. So, um, you know, when I work with my master's clients virtually, it's, hey, we just communicate all the time. Communication is a big piece of that. Um, we, uh, We adapt, like, hey, if you've got surgery or you've got a meeting, then just do these two lifts. Don't worry about the rest. And I think a lot of times, just as humans or athletes, we just need to hear from our coach that something is okay. So just go do your two lifts today. Just warm up and squat and go enjoy your day. Don't worry about it. So, you know, that's where having a coach Is really a benefit to to hear that a lot of things that we don't want to hear and then also when things are okay to to skip or to just take the day off or not push through something that might be bothering you
0: i love that perspective because i'm i work i try to work against this but i'm very much of the mindset if i can't do it perfectly i won't do it and so i love the Mm -hmm. fact that you're saying Just go and do one or two exercises i think that's great because sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't fit in you know the whole hour maybe you can only fit in 15 minutes and i think that that being consistent over time is going to help long term with your goals
1: yes absolutely and that's that's honestly how i look at training splits also it's never about any one given session. It's about the accumulation of all of them, of that week, of that month, of that year, of that cycle. And it just builds upon itself. So when we kind of take that bird's eye view, it it, uh, alleviates some of that pressure that we put on ourselves, external forces, whatever it may be, we can kind of breathe a little bit easier. And so, yeah, sometimes you warm up and you squat and then you go have your brekkie and you hit your coffee and you go to work. (laughs) And that's perfectly fine too.
0: What is an idea, what do you think is ideal for the amount of strength work that a master's athlete would do each week?
1: Yeah, three is pretty good. Yeah, I find, um, you know, one, you, you can absolutely make uh, progress with that. It's hard to kind of link it together over time, not, not in terms of like workout to workout, but really building a base of fitness. Uh two is really good for people that just can't swing it you know what i mean some people have really busy jobs or lives travel or that's all they're willing to commit and that's totally fine too but like if we're talking perfect i think three days a week whether it's a monday wednesday friday split or tuesday thursday saturday give yourself you know a day in between i think makes a big difference in recovery um and then just also spreading the workout over the week versus kind of like front loading i think that the consistency piece is really important the balance of the week and never having like sharps sharp inclines or declines i I like just steady over time
0: so in those programs if you're doing three sessions a week would you program that so that you know a lot of a lot of coaches do monday or say as upper body wednesday as lower body friday as um power or, or whatever it is do you sort of mix them all within each program or do you have that kind of philosophy
1: um it depends on the individual's needs so in the past at the club level um we did dry land six days a week so and they were 45 minute sessions but again kind of going back to the volume was spread out over the course of the week and there was never any heavy days that would be we did a total body day and that's things like jump shrugs db snatch olympic lift variations So explosive, lower volume, lower reps, an upper body day and a lower body day. Um, In the last two years, I've been playing with things a little bit more and where I'm starting to (laughs) start, folks, where I'm having a lot of success at all ages um, is having like a, so we go through our warm up, and that's dynamic preparation. That's our skipping. That's our coordination, those athletic uh, foundations. And then we'll go into whatever that person needs from a mobility standpoint. And then we'll hit our explosive movements first. And that might just be one or two exercises. Some people might be doing cleans. Some might be doing like a dumbbell snatch. And then we can go into more traditional strength elements. But I'm finding that sprinkling everything, so your total body, your upper body, your lower body, and your core work, every session allows for volume accumulation versus session accumulation. And you don't ever, I mean, you can't get away from soreness in some capacity, especially when it's a new program but you're not overloading the chest. You're not overloading the legs. And so if we look at it through the lens of developing athletes, you guys need your legs. You need to be able to go race. But that doesn't mean we can't train them. It just means we apply the appropriate volume at the right time. And I'm finding that sprinkling that volume throughout the week is much better. So, you know, day one could be like our squat day. And then like a body weight element after that, whether it's a reverse lunge, lateral lunge, something moving in an opposite direction versus front and back. Um, the second day could be more power driven, like we talked about. So that might be just more jumping variations or a second squatting variation, not barbell driven. And then the third day could be just our basic body weight day. It just depends, like I said, but so you've had basically six, uh, different exercises on the legs throughout the week, but it's not going to feel like it as much because it's spread out. So I, I'm, I'm really enjoying coaching those training splits also. And the kids like it and the master swimmers too, but it seems to work really well. And then from the master's end of things, um, like I was talking about injuries come into play. So they might be able to squat. They can go their four by eight or four by 10 or three by six, whatever the set design is for the day. But if I add something after that, then those old injuries creep up. But if I just do one really intentional set that day, and then move on they're good so we're getting the strength component we're getting the mobility component um, and addressing those individual needs
0: yeah i think that that's important because particularly masters athletes if you are spreading it out into upper lower and they miss one of those sessions they miss that for the week correct. so i love i love the idea of mixing those in so that they're you know consistent and if they are aiming for three but they only get two done at least they're, they're getting some gains from that week as well
1: correct Yeah. Yeah. So I look at it as like, if it's a um, pretty much every day we'll have like a pulling exercise. So, you know, the first day might be a traditional lat pull down. The second day could be more TRX body rows or like gymnastic body rows. And then your third could be another single arm or double arm row. So like you just said, you hit the nail on the head. If we've got two sessions spot on of a pulling motion, we're not just focusing on that one day, we still get that good work in. You're exactly right.
0: And when you say recovery, do you look at it as recovery from that specific, so recovery from strength and conditioning, but you could still be swimming on that day? Or when you talk about recovery, is it a complete rest from all activity?
1: I think if we, break, if we set our week up correctly, I don't feel like many swimmers at any age will really need a day off so like that's where i was talking about the monday wednesday friday split so if you're doing your strength components on those days and you've got a day off in between you kind of in essence have an active recovery session just by swimming in the pool and then on top of that if you know um let's say like tuesday is going to be a big quality day but you need to lift on monday maybe the leg volume is a little bit less that way you've got your legs the next day to go fast so like i was talking about i think training consistently Is where you reap the most rewards, but it has to blend together um, and being cognizant of those training splits. Like, if you look at a season plan, what happens in the water also needs to pair up with what we're doing in the gym. So, it's never just the same thing all year long. We're changing those variables in the, the weight room or on land or on deck, whatever that person has. Sometimes it's their garage gym or their living room, you know. It has to pair up with the water. And when you look at things in that light, it makes it a little bit easier to change the focal point to make sure that they are recovering. But in there there are certain times there where you just got to get the work in. like you just can't hide from it, right? So early season, it, it just is what it is. You got to bring the kick up, you got to bring the leg volume up, squatting, lunging, box jumps, step ups, you, you just have to do it. And then at other times of the year when it's championship season, we manipulate that volume. In both ends, weight room and pool, to get that best result.
0: How do you stand on um, on the kind of strength conditioning that's sort of coming into the pool work as well? So the the pulley the pulley bands with the weights. I see swimmers pulling those, swimming through the water. What's your sort of um, thought process on that?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Those are great. I I think um, just like anything, you have to cycle it. And so I think this is sometimes where Program design goes wrong when we're always training the same way all season long. So, you know, certain times of the year, um, my experience with towers or the buckets, like the water ones that go the full twenty-five, um, I'm looking at it from like a volume perspective. Like, okay, I want twenty efforts, and this is a club level, like a senior level kid that's going to say, okay, I know I want twenty on this day for four weeks, I can build that up, build that capacity up, and then I'm gonna change it to the next variable. So we're always changing the stimulus. So it's absolutely great. I mean, it's fun too, it mixes up the training um, and that anaerobic power in the weight room, you can absolutely hit it, but it's also important to transfer that to the sport that you're in. So um, fins and paddles with parachutes, fins and paddles with any variable is fun and it's, it's important. Because we, we do know if you boot, if you bring the power up, everything else comes with it. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how do you sort of, I suppose, there is so much happening, particularly in the strength and conditioning world. How do you sort of stay in front of all the information that's out there? Because I know myself just looking at Instagram, for instance. There's thousands of people on there all proclaiming to be fitness gurus. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: The, the best, yeah, yeah. It's, it's honest. It's, um, when I launched Elevate, this was actually a big talking point that I had, you know, talked to coaches and families about. There is this massive overload of fitness, everything at our fingertips. Um, coaches are confused, parents are confused, kids are confused. Everyone is just, it's, we're all inundated and overloaded with this stimulus of information. Honestly, I ignore most of it. Uh, I, I've and I guess because I've been doing this long enough to know what information is important to grab and what's not. Now, some of the what's not really comes down to personal philosophy at times. But um, one of my biggest mentors, uh, Vern Gambetta, like is pretty well known throughout the world. Um, I came into meeting him and learning about him and working with him at the right point in my career where I was like at this uh, just trying to figure out my way. right. And he started talking about movements, not muscles, mastering movements, being patient progression. And so a lot of times people are looking for this one percent, this cherry on top exercise. But the reality is that most athletes and swimmers of all ages still can't squat, still can't do a pull up, um, still can't move laterally. So I think it's important for coaches to be self-aware enough to say wow i'm getting sucked into this because it's really exciting and and there's nothing wrong with that because i remember those days but now as i'm moving along in my career now it's way more specific like if i feel like i need a little bit more t-spine variation then i'm like okay i'm going to go to this guy and i'm going to grab one exercise to bring into my program whether it's for a team or an individual and then i'm going to step back and i'm going to stop looking Because I think that's another thing that coaches and swimmers alike, parents too, you keep grabbing information and you never have this opportunity to step back, you know, take a deep breath, absorb, contemplate and see how it fits your program. So it's important for everyone out there that's listening, like, you know, come to my page, come check stuff out. I'm not real flashy. I'm I'm pretty boring, honestly. But for, like I said, most of the people out there just mastering these foundational elements at all ages, will catapult them forward well beyond what they thought was possible versus trying to jump into an olympic lift right away so a lot of this is removing our own ego and thinking that flash is better or more is better or new is better but it's like you know the dumbbell snatch for example like i think that was invented in 1908 and it might even be before that i think that was just the first publication of these lifts and it's like the movements and exercises, I, I kind of look at it more as a movement versus an exercise. But the ones that have stood the test of time are the most relevant. So I think it's important to just be willing to step back and only add what's necessary at the right point in time. So, you know, at any age, if I'm looking at a short course season or a long course season, you, you might only get. Um, let me think of the best way to articulate it. Uh, six upper body exercises for the whole year. Because I think what people forget too is when you go and grab this exercise from wherever it may be, good, bad, whatever, you have to take the time to teach it. The athlete has to take time to accumulate and adapt to that stimulus and get comfortable with the lift. And then you've got to bring it from your foundational cycle, your early season cycle, into whether it's like capacity work or um, like uh, four or five exercises into endurance, into power. So one exercise should last you an entire season. You just cycle it differently. So I guess all that to say um, patience and only grabbing what's necessary and being willing to just teach the basics first is what's going to lead to the best results.
0: I love that. You've just sort of mentioned that In a nutshell, it's that kiss principle: keep it simple, stupid.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I think that's a cornerstone
0: of all good programs, really.
1: Absolutely, and I think you find the coaches that have been been in their given field sport the longest have the most simple programs. But it's um, oh gosh, what's the the phrase? simplicity yields complexity so we see this simple movement but it's how it's being used the context is everything so we see these basic programs and they're like this is nothing you know this isn't going to be elite when all reality it's like we know the basics in the pool are what separate good from the elite the ability to stay underwater to know their stroke count to change tempo. All these things are pretty basic, but they're really hard to do.
0: I mean, I love the sound of the fact that you've got this sort of platform and this website where people can go and sort of connect with you. They could be any corner of the world and you can work with them on all these things because I think that, as you say, there is so much information out there and just a bit of a helping hand in your corner is is something that's really good. Do you sort of take on um, – you know an unlimited amount of people how how do you sort of decide who's going to come on your website and work with you
1: yeah that's a great question um my model is much different and so if someone were to check out my website and that's elevatetheprocess.com and that's i'm so process driven so um I, I only take on five or six virtual clients at any given point and so my thought process with that is um, People really matter to me and people are coming to me for guidance. And so there, a coach has to bear that weight and recognize that that person is a human being that's looking for guidance first. I don't look at people as dollar signs. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to take on five to six because this is a number of clients that I can manage at a really high level and still uh address these other parts of my business and so when people come to me they get quality 100 percent of the time um and it's the same for i only take on three teams at a time so i take on a x number of clients in person so i, I manage managed this workload to make sure quality never suffers um and so yeah that, that's how i do things so if someone's reaching out it's because they they want to learn um, they're willing to be patient. Like if someone's coming to me looking for a really rapid, quick fix, it may not be the best fit. Now, if we're willing to have a conversation every Friday and let's put a season plan together, like let's be on the same page, um, and make this thing, uh, a long-term relationship, then those are the people that, that last, I mean, and that stick around with me. I mean, most of my clients have been with me, especially my first people, um, over you know, a year. So. It's like I, I think that longevity is really important.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I love that philosophy, and I love the fact that I, I'm I'm figuring out that you you love planning. I love planning.
1: <laughs> I do. Yeah, and there's um, you know, with that, it's like it. I get really excited about those things because it's it just makes sense to me. My dad is is for all intents and purposes an engineer. My brother also kind of has the same kind of uh, mindset. But, um, you know, sometimes these plans, you have to change and you have to be willing to change. So like I enjoy putting the plan together and then being able to adapt on the fly is another really important component. Because like we said, if this life variable gets thrown into things and we miss the gym for a couple of days, okay, well, how do we adapt and how does the big picture shift? We move volume here, volume here, exercise, exercise there. So I think it's just the puzzle pieces that are the most exciting to me um and so like i said i'm willing to there's been times i've had to just throw plans right out the window and that's perfectly fine um so i love planning but i'm also willing to adapt and be flexible
0: yeah and i think any good coach is so yeah that's um i can see how passionate you are about it which i I love (laughs) thank you now everyone that comes on the podcast i like to ask them deep dive five questions a bit of it's a snapshot about um Your coaching so give us your i know you said you don't like to pick out one but give us um your favorite strength and conditioning exercise for master
1: swimmers honestly the most applicable are still squats and pull-ups you know like the and let's just go push up too. like those three like if you get really good at those you can really build upon that so um i'm going to give you three as one
0: (laughs) and as a coach on pool deck what's your favorite freestyle drill to give your athletes?
1: Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite drills is a combination of a few things. We all kind of know our six kick switch and our single arm drills. Um, I combine both of those. So like just picture you're doing right arm only left arm at your side, you take your one stroke cycle, spear and reach roll to your side and treat it just like a six kick switch. And then you take your whole stroke and you rotate on that axis to the opposite side. So it teaches connection front to back it teaches connection to the hip out front and it gives swimmers a better awareness of that axis side to side so it's kind of a combination drill that i use a lot
0: that sounds like a good one yeah i like that
1: yeah i need to film that i think i've got some video and um i'll send it over to you
0: yeah yeah definitely what about your favorite u.s swimming pool
1: um so I'm blanking on the name, but it's in Austin, Texas. Uh, they host, they host nationals there. Um, it's basically a high school based facility, but it's outdoor 50 meter arena, grandstands on both sides. They have um, you know protection from the sun, and then you've got a dive well, so Olympic dive well, and then inside there's a whole other 50 meter pool. Um, and it's in San Antonio. I'm totally blanking on the name, but that's one of my favourites by far, and I'm sure uh, people will probably know which one I'm talking about. It's just really hot there in the summer.
0: Oh, yes, yeah. You do get some hot summers there, don't you?
1: (laughs) Yes, and that's in Texas, so, like, it's just it's brutal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And how about your favourite pre-race meal?
1: So I'm really simple with this one. I, I think eat normally what you would normally eat. So uh, things that are easy to digest. And actually um, I just had a conversation on this very topic, but things like Jasmine rice and a protein and a simple fat. So your olive oil or your, um, avocado, whatever that may be things that the stomach can handle pretty well. Now, if it's like the morning of believe it or not, I still have people. Some of my athletes will eat, um, like a half cup of rice, honey, and then like a scoop of, uh, like a whey isolate. That's really easy to digest. So we get all these carbs in very, very easily and a protein on top of it without feeling really heavy. So if it's in the morning, it's something like that or a oatmeal traditional, but I try to keep things as light and as digestible as possible.
0: How about a middle distance training set?
1: So it depends on like what energy system we're targeting, but um, 2100s on two minutes, Um, heart rate 30 to 32 in 10 seconds or, you know, up to like 180 so, max VO2 or aerobic capacity or blue it depends on like what you're talking about. But, um, yeah, freestylers that's a great set. Free and back is really good there, too.
0: That That's that's certainly going to get that heart rate up nice and high.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, and, and MVO2 is one of the uh probably most understood training components in, in the sport. Like, I, I see a lot of things that say they're MVO2, but it's really not. And so, that's going to be exactly where we want to be in certain times of the year.
0: Well, Avery, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been lovely connecting with you and hearing all about your coaching and your strength and conditioning work. And we'll put the notes, um, the sorry, the link to your uh, website in the show notes so people can check that out and have a look and contact you if they feel like they would like to.
1: Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. I had a good time.
0: Yep, you're welcome. Have a lovely evening in um, in Carolinas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you too. Thank you.
0: Okay, take care. You
1: too. Bye bye.
0: Bye. Take care, Bob. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Avery as much as I enjoyed speaking to him. I really enjoy speaking to people about the scientific side of exercise and finding out all different ways. Everyone brings something different to the table. So it's great to have these experts on here talking with us and finding out how we can improve our master swimming. One thing that always comes through is that you really need to include strength and conditioning in your program each week. So hopefully you'll take something away about my chat with Avery today and I'll make sure that his details are in the show notes of the podcast and you can get in touch with him to find out any more about what he offers because he works with athletes all around the world. Today's episode was brought to you by Amanzi Swim and The Magic Five. I would like to thank them both for supporting the podcast. I use both of their products. A lot of bathers from Amanzi and I use them all the time. They're colorful. They're long lasting. I love them. That's why I recommend them to people if they ever ask what bathers I use. And the Magic 5 Goggles are fantastic because they're really designed to fit my face. Check them both out with their links in the show notes. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.